The following is Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. Welcome back. I'm your host, Chrissy Coughlin, and you're listening to Nature of Business. We're thrilled to have you listening with us today. And we're also thrilled to have with us on the line, Ian Bowles. He's the Managing Director of Rumline Energy, LLC, where he focuses on strategy, business, and project development in the clean energy sector. And prior to this, he was the Secretary of Energy and Environmental Affairs under Governor Deval Patrick of Massachusetts, a role he served from 2006 to 2011. Welcome, Ian. Thank you very much, Chrissy. Delighted to be with you. How are you doing today? Everything is great. Just Good. You ready for the storm? What's that? Ready for the storm? Absolutely. <laughs> I've been waiting. I've been waiting. <laughs> um, so, well, we're very excited to have you on. I kept your intro very short because we could probably talk for quite a bit about all you've done. Um, you've certainly been in in the um, political world, uh, business world, etc., for a long time, and have seen your fair share of where politics has come and gone, and, and alternative energy, uh, how it is meshed in this. And uh, we're excited to hear more more about this with you today. Let's start. Let's start a little bit about your your latest experience under the Patrick administration. I'd love to hear a little bit more about about what you what what that experience meant to you and what what you found what you took away from that with regard to the state of alternative energy in this country and beyond. Well, thanks. That's a great question. And, you know, I want to start by saying I left my position about a year ago. I was there for four years as Secretary of Energy and Environmental Affairs, really the first state to put energy and environment under one roof. And really the credit for all that goes to Governor Deval Patrick, who was a fantastic boss. Uh, and my successor, Rick Sullivan, has been doing a, a terrific job uh, in, the, in the position. You know, really, uh, um, uh, one thing to know about sort of the difference between state government and federal government, at least on a personal level, I spent um, 13 years living in Washington and worked in the Clinton administration state government is much closer to the ground, so you can actually do things uh, and see the results of them more quickly. And I think that's an important distinction. And, and state government's in many ways much less of a, of a bureaucracy and easier to work through. And uh, in Massachusetts, we had a, the governor was really um, uh, came at a time when he had a real passion about the opportunity for economic development and clean energy for our state, uh, and also there was strong interest among the legislative leaders. And so that was a very nice confluence of events that led to you know, major reforms in utility regulation, incentives for alternative power, greenhouse gas emissions reductions, uh, and a variety of other you know, substantial reforms. And how was how that brought on? Tell me, what, what does it take? Like, what, were you in there from the beginning speaking with, with Governor Patrick and telling him, um, advising him about the importance, obviously the importance of this, but what it means for the future. I think that we we tend to have a myopic view of of things in this country, and and it's probably human nature. But how how did you get in there to actually convince him that this should be a forefront issue? Well, you know, I would I would start again with credit to him. I think he had the vision and ran as a candidate on the idea that this is a big economic opportunity. When you think about our state in Massachusetts, we've got MIT produces more intellectual property on energy technology than any other university. Uh, we've got a big venture capital community. We've got in New England a very skilled workforce in general, strong entrepreneurial community. So, you know, as the world makes a transition to much cleaner sources of power, you know, our region and Massachusetts in particular has 
the opportunity to be the disproportionate beneficiary, right? So you're going to have a lot of jobs being created. I think he saw that and said, you know, how do we go about tackling that and give uh, me a kind of broad direction to go out and and, uh, and figure that out. Energy is also one of the most regulated parts of our economy. You've got these distribution utilities, which are one of the few remaining monopolies in our society, and they're publicly regulated really at the state level. So a governor and a legislature can really work together with the utilities to put in place some you know, very strong green uh, uh, measures, you know, requiring them to buy a certain amount of power from um, from uh, renewable sources, uh, pushing energy efficiency as a, you know, we've got an old housing stock in New England, and so getting out and figuring out how can people, you know, cut back their electricity bills by 20 or 30 percent um, uh, by updating their air conditioner or their appliances or fixing leaks in their house, um, and there's a lot of those things that can happen. So, you know, I certainly think the governor saw this primarily as an economic opportunity, um, but also understood the environmental, you know, ramifications of it. And you can see what happens when when you have that support from from up at top is now that now that the Boston area is really considered a clean tech cluster and, and one of the, the the places to be, you know, in, in this realm. Let's let's talk about federal versus state a little bit more, because this is something that I hear a lot about the, the, the debate and, and the, the gridlock. We certainly hear about the gridlock in Washington and people become frustrated. And now I'm reading about people becoming frustrated about all of the alternative energy talk. What is what is really holding back Washington? Yeah, you know, I think it's not just an energy. I mean, I think we've reached kind of a, a new low in our, you know, sort of the standards of our national debate sort of um, uh, become very partisan. And, um, you know, I think it's uh, uh, with the United States had a, as a national government, I think is really profoundly out of step with the rest of the world in terms of, you know, focus on clean energy. Now, forget about, you know, uh, one's belief on greenhouse gas emissions, you know, my opinion, I think the opinion of, you know, 99% of scientists or uh, virtually 100% of scientists is that, you know, obviously we're, we're causing a, a, a major changes in the climatic system. But even leaving that aside, um, the basic economic um, reason to make this transition is very strong. And you're seeing big economies like Germany and uh, China making these enormously large investments uh, in clean energy. And so, you know, we're, we're at the federal level, you know, staying uh, way behind that. In fact, um, really kind of dragging down um, uh, and not having any momentum. I'd say the good news part of it, to the, to the degree there is any good news part of it, is that, you know, energy is largely regulated at the state level. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. the federal role in energy is really the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which looks at interstate transmission, you know, so the sort of generation of power and the distribution of power, uh, you know, is really in the province of states. And so, you know, you've got now more than half the states in the country that have a strong or set of renewable power requirements on their utilities. And, uh, you know, the New England states are, are, are well ahead of most. Let's talk about wind specifically. I know that you have been directly involved in, in a lot of these you know, projects, Cape Wind in particular. What? Let's talk about Cape Wind, the state of Cape Wind, as a re- reliable and viable renewable energy source. What are the impediments? Obviously, we're moving forward on it, but what, what are the impediments to getting this project done? 
Well, you know, I mean, I would say, you know, my relationship with Cape Wind was as a regulator um, and looking at their environmental impacts, which, you know, I and uh, and my uh, colleagues determined to be small, um, uh, not zero, but small. Uh, and then as a um, uh, overseeing the energy agencies, which gave them permits and, and approved the, ultimately the Public Utility Commission approved their, their contract um, to purchase power. I mean, I'd say that their challenges are, um, you know, visual and uh, local opposition certainly has been yeah. uh, strong and consistent. Um, you know, a preference among many, and this is not an unreasonable view that, you know, offshore wind should be placed out, you know, 20 miles out to sea over the horizon so they don't look at it. Um, that's, you know, a point of view. Um, and uh, and then I think economic, you know, the, the advent of shale gas has driven down electricity costs in New England on average, uh, at least for Massachusetts, the electricity costs themselves are down by 40% um, so, you know, uh, three or four years ago when National Grid was to, making its contract with Cape Wind, you know, it was really pretty much uh, not far off the market cost of power. Uh, today, it's, uh, you know, much higher than the market cost of power. And that requires um, citizens, utilities, regulators to sort of you know, take a deep breath and say, yeah, we want to have an offshore wind industry in the United States. It has to start somewhere, uh, even though it is more expensive than other forms of wind power. You know, let's proceed anyway. And uh, mm -hmm. that's something that, uh, you know, if you believe that um, there will be a large offshore wind industry in the United States, the way there is in all over Europe and now in China and Korea and many other places, if you believe that's going to happen, I, I do, um, then it makes some sense to have the first project be in your home state, because then you're going to have a lot of economic activity that comes from it. So, you know, that's an argument I think is strongly in favor of the project. That's good to hear. Now, the the question that, that I get asked a lot is is with regard to alternative energy and how many forms there are of it. So you hear about wind, you hear about solar, solar you hear about biofuels, for instance. Those are just three examples. Tell, give us an idea of, of the differences are somewhat obvious. They're all different forms of alternative energy. But are they competing against each other? Is, is it something that, where there is an ability for them to all work in conjunction to push the whole industry forward? Give us a better idea of that. You know, uh, great question. I mean, certainly in terms of the definition of renewable power, um, it is generally speaking includes things like wind, solar, typically smaller hydropower, um, things like energy derived from organic food or yard waste, um, the methane that can be recaptured from a capped landfill. Um, typically, there's a number of sources that are renewable in the sense that, uh, you know, you can continue to create them. Um, and uh, uh, and those are largely definitions may set out in state laws uh, in terms of their, you know, incentives. Um, I think where the industry has come together, generally speaking, has been the federal tax incentives. So, you know, there's a tax credits that go to the industries uh, and generally go to all of these industries. And uh, so for them, uh, you know, having access to those tax credits, I think, is something that generally unifies um, the industries. I'd say certainly they compete with each other um, and uh, hopefully harmoniously. Um, Sometimes they, you know, uh, people naturally look at things as, uh, you know, winners and losers. But I would say, generally speaking, um, you know, renewable power enjoys a uh, benefit in terms of requirement on utilities in New England that they buy renewable power. Um, and, uh, and the power and these industries do tend to compete with each other. But, uh, you know, more generally, they were seeing uh, in our region a transition away from coal and oil and 
towards um, natural gas and renewables. And then that's a, a trend that's going to, I think, continue to accelerate. And we, we, we discussed this a little bit in the first segment of the show about the tax credits. And I know that there's been Kerry and Brown are, you know, pushing to keep, you know, wind energy tax credits. And there's been some stuff in the news about that. And I think, do, do you find that, um, that, is that is the tax credit? This is just a person. This is a question I have. Is is the tax credits? That's that's across the board for all renewable energy sources. Is that correct? Well, it is and it isn't. Uh, it's really particularly uh, apropos right now for the wind industry um, because the, um, the the solar industry has a tax credit that extends for several more years, uh, and uh, there's you know tax credits for investment or for power production, and uh, you know the wind industry's got a particular interest in a, a tax credit that they use for um, for wind energy. But you know, generally speaking, the sort of generic point is that these tax credits have an unfortunate in the history of coming and going. So you end mm-hmm. up seeing um, uh, industries you know, really start to ramp up and then they go away. And, and I think another point that is important is that, you know, the federal government has promoted different forms of energy for, you know, a century uh, or more through tax policy. So there are still some significant tax um, uh, and uh, subsidy, uh, other forms of incentive for fossil uh, fuels as well. Um, you know, the many times uh, leases are given at under, under market rates, things like that. And so, you know, eliminating some of those would also help to level the playing field. Um, but I think the particular tax credit that uh, uh, our people are focusing on right now is the ability to convert for solar a federal tax credit into a cash grant, uh, which helps the financing uh, and a longer-term tax credit turned into a cash grant. And then for the wind industry, it's a renewal of, of a tax credit that, ex- that lapses at the end of this calendar year. Okay. Okay, that helps. So let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about jobs. I know we, you know, you, you brushed upon it a little bit at the beginning here, but I'd like to to delve into this a little more. The argument is that that jobs will be created as as alternative and renewable energy grows in in the state and well beyond. Let's talk about this. What is that? How does that translate? How do, how do you, how is that argument pushed? I think it's uh, one of the um, you know uh, one of the most successful areas of the policies that Governor Patrick in Massachusetts put in place. You've seen a um, sustained uh, job creation growth even through this difficult um, period of economic uncertainty. Uh, uh, and uh, very strong results. So, you know, about five years ago when Governor Patrick took office, there was very little in the way of employment in the uh, in the solar industry. There was not a big solar industry in Massachusetts. Now there's, you know, um, many thousands of jobs in uh, in the um, in that particular industry. And so you've seen, uh, and also energy efficiency has been another area. So you've seen a sustained um, growth in the industry. You've seen uh, uh, the, a growth that's larger than the rest of the economy, uh, and is playing a, an ever more important part of uh, of the Massachusetts state economy. So, you know, I think some. Sometimes the green jobs debate at the national level sort of becomes abstract and, and, and partisan at times, whereas I think at the state level, you can really measure it and see it. And then the question, of course, is, you know, what is a green job? And my argument has always been you can make any job that you do relatively green. So I think people get caught up in that and say, you know, trying to define what a green job is. Um, so the so. I'm just trying to understand a little bit more about the, the 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 public opinion because when I when I talk to people who do not understand um, renewable energy, 
as, as much. They, they tend to have a, def, they deflect my, my comments and they'll just say that, you know, there's, you can't create that many jobs. Renewable energy, alternative energy can only produce a certain amount of energy in this country forever. There's no way it's going to grow. We need fossil fuels, blah, blah, blah. What do you, what do you say to that? Well, you know, I think it really varies. Here in New England, uh, I don't think anyone is confused that we've got vast sources of coal and natural gas. You know, here we don't. Um, We are literally at the end of the natural gas pipeline that runs up from Louisiana. The terminus is in Massachusetts, the one that runs in from Canada, maritime provinces, the... Uh, uh, the terminus is also in Massachusetts. So, you know, in terms of people paying the highest marginal cost for that natural gas, it, it's here. Uh, it's here geographically. Um, and uh, so, you know, we pay a premium for electricity, um, and that's part of the reason that we've got higher power costs than, than most areas. Um, so for us, you know, it's easier to look at the alternatives because the you know, the, the fossil base is, is more expensive. Um, so it's easier for uh, alternatives to, to compete um, on a cost basis. You know, the cheapest alternative is clearly energy conservation. I think most New Englanders understand it in a basic way. You know, they got a big old drafty house, and uh, they're you know tearing up dollar bills all the time as they're you know using more heat than they need to. And so, you know, I think there's a, there's a long history of people trying to do something about it. And our region doesn't have as much new construction, so getting after these older houses and making them tighter and uh, performing better, you know, makes all the sense in the world. I, I, uh, I live in an old Victorian and Jamaica plain. I probably cut our energy use by, you know, a quarter or something like that through a bunch of, you know, sustained effort on insulation and uh, and uh, air sealing. Um, so, you know, that area, I think people understand it's not really an alternative. It's just a question of, you know, overturning a century worth of regulation of utilities where, you know, they were in the business of selling power. And now they're starting to be in the business of energy efficiency. And some of them are doing a great job with that. And it's, a, you know, it's a major transition to go from, uh, you know, just buying power and sending it around to people to actually try and help customers take control of their bill and, and spend less. So a lot of jobs are being created in energy efficiency. Um, I think in the rest of renewable power, you know, solar is quickly becoming much more mainstream. Uh, you've got uh, a lot of job growth. You see it in your neighborhoods around Massachusetts now. Um, and uh, so I think that's where the cost of it's come down by a dramatic amount. I think wind has become much more mainstream in many parts of New England. And so mm-hmm. you know, it takes some time. It takes some adjustment for people to get used to it. You know, I think it is wrong to suggest that it has to be one or the other. I mean, my view is I think we need, you know, shale gas is an appropriate um, transition fuel. Um, it's needed as we are reducing our emissions better than better than coal, uh, and we're gearing up for more reliance on renewable power, um, and uh, and that's coming, you know, beginning to come online. So, you know, I don't think it should be set up as, uh, you know. You have to have all of one and not of the other. I mean, Hydro, Quebec, and uh, resources like that have a role to play in this as well. It's relatively relatively, uh, cheap source of power, uh, not without its own environmental issues, but, um, you know, it's part of a a mix that's needed as we make a transition towards, you know, uh, virtually all clean power. And the whole whole idea behind this is to make it as seamless as possible. I just came across a, a... a company and I'm, the name is going to escape me where they're actually leasing uh, leasing solar panels and 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 I don't know do you think that this is the trend in solar that that you lease the panels so that the onus isn't on the owner to actually do the maintenance and to install 
Yes, you know, Sunrun, uh, based in California, although started by some um, uh, Milton um, graduates here in, in Massachusetts, uh, has now the largest solar leasing company uh, in uh, in the nation. I have Sunrun-owned uh, panels on my own house, um, which is great because they take responsibility for, you know, 18 years of maintenance of those panels. And if my inverter fails or the, you know, panel fails, then, you know, that's their responsibility to fix it. And it, and it reduces the upfront cost for the homeowner. So I think the trend towards leasing uh, of solar panels is a good thing, and it's really, you know, really, um, I think, helped to break open the solar market. So instead of saying, well, you know, I have to come up with twenty-five or $30,000 out of my own pocket um, in order to do solar when I want to do solar, mm-hmm. instead it might be that I'm putting down virtually nothing and just paying paying it off like I pay my uh, utility bill. So that's an attractive economic um, uh, framework, and I do think it's going to grow continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Great. So th- you are also advising a number of companies, or at least a few, uh, including a mm-hmm. company in Waltham, Mass, called Harvest Power, and they yeah. create energy from organics. Uh, what are you seeing from these advisory purchases? What, what what's the exciting trends going on? Well, you know, uh, uh, it's really an unfortunate name, anaerobic digestion. People really can't even know what that's about. It's like, you know, I'm trying to eat my food without breathing or something. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, uh, for your listeners, it's really taking remaining yard waste and food waste and the organic uh, energy, the value in that organic, the energy value in that organic material and, you know, converting it. If you're flying to Logan Airport and you look out the window and you see those 12 giant egg-like structures out on Deer Island at the wastewater treatment plant, you know, those are basically just taking all the bacteria and organic material in the wastewater and uh, putting it through, you know, a giant um, uh, uh, reaction that produces methane. Um, and that, that provides a lot of the renewable power out at, out at Deer Island, uh, the biggest wastewater treatment plant and biggest power user in New England. And, uh, you know, the, in Germany, which is famous worldwide for having a big solar industry and having a big wind industry, you know, organic uh, reuse of organic material uh, actually accounts for more renewable power than wind and solar combined. So it's an important area, you know, to get out and you know make it more mainstream in the United States. You need to start segmenting those waste streams. So in Massachusetts, we don't allow yard waste, leaves, and twigs to go into landfill because we recognize that's just going to fill up landfills, and we should make people you know, do something else with them. You know, create mulch or uh, or um, uh, or turn them into energy. So doing more of that, um, so that's really what Harvest Power is about. It's uh, it's trying to get out ahead as this uh, industry becomes, you know, mainstream uh, in the United States, which I fully expect it will. Seems it's just common sense, but it's just a, it's, it's really education and a learning curve and the, and getting over the ick factor, I think for a lot of people, when I try to to explain to them about it. They're like waste, food waste. They don't want, you know, that's the smell, it's the ick factor. And I think once they understand it, they'll, they'll see that it is, uh, can go mainstream. So let's, yeah, we've got exactly one more right. question for you. Let's talk about the future. I mean, you've obviously, you've been in Washington, you're up here, um, you've been up in Massachusetts in the public sector, now the private sector. What are you, what, what is your, what is your uh, prediction for the future in terms of, of renewable energy, both at the state and, and federal levels? 
You know, I am uh, reflexively optimistic about it because, um, you know, I think it's over the hump in terms of um, uh, it's becoming economically important for states. Um, you know, it's very interesting. When we were first launching the solar program in Massachusetts, Governor Patrick and I and a number of my colleagues, you know, there was very limited presence in the legislature from any form of solar companies. You know, no one had heard of them. No one knew anyone who worked for one. Um, so we were sort of saying, well, you know, trust us, it's going to be a good thing. You know, a couple of years later, when it came to amending and updating some of the solar provisions, you now have, you know, significant companies employing people in just about every town in the state. Um, so it's kind of a coming of age for the industry, kind of becoming mainstream, where they're, you know, very much a part of the economic activity of the state. And I think that means you're kind of over the hump in terms of going away from being novelty to becoming, you know, politically engaged the way any other industry. Is. And um, mm-hmm. so I take that as, you know, very good news. I think that the um, uh, I think that uh, we as a nation are behind. Uh, I think where the rest of the world is. But I think over time people are seeing that and seeing, well, you know, China and Germany, some of our key competitor countries, are really making these big investments. You know, we should too. Um, so I would say the state level um, there's a lot of grounds for optimism and a lot of progress. The federal scene remains mixed and not so favorable, um, but that a global level, you've got a lot going on. You know, I should also mention that the town and city level, I mean, people like Mayor Menino in Boston have really taken a significant leadership role in, in you know, green building requirements and uh, zoning and other changes that happen at the municipal level that are, you know, tremendously important. And do you see it replicated? I mean, there's been so much success in, in, in the Northeast. And do you see that replicated, let's say, I just, I just just out in Kansas City, for instance, in the Midwest, in the middle of this country, in the near yeah, future? You do. I mean, I think you've now got virtually every single state has some form of energy efficiency program. And, you know, 15 years ago, they were seen as uh, really sort of marginal, you know, just a few states on the coast trying it. And, you know, so I think these things take time, um, but I think they're starting to become, you know, very mainstream. But certainly, you know, the United States has got a very heterogeneous um, energy mix uh, around the, the the country. You know, we've got contrary to people's perception of you know Massachusetts being heavily regulated. You know, we've got the most um, liberalized um, energy markets uh, in the nation. Um, we've got the most competition, whereas areas that are um, much more sort of in a, a different era uh, of vertical integration are you know in the southeast and more uh, areas that have shown less adoption of renewable power are more heavily regulated. And so I think over time, this is happening around the country. And I think there's a lot of good reason for optimism. Terrific. Well, this helps so much to to explain and and help us navigate the uh, world of renewable energy. And we're thrilled to have you have you with us and, and appreciate it very much. Great. My pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Chrissy. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks. The proceeding has been Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. I've been waiting for so long.